So before we get started, we're going to take a different tact. And that is that we're essentially going to just deal with the introduction and the koan and see where it takes us. Because the commentary seems almost like quicksand. Though in the koan after the next koan, the commentary is entirely relevant. So, you know, we, we won't be religious about this. Uh, but sometimes um, we don't need it. And traditionally, you would be handed on a little scrap of paper the koan itself and nothing more. And that's what you would have to deal with. So, so anyway, we'll, uh, tonight we're going to do the introduction and the koan. I took out most of the stuff in parentheses, which isn't in the book either, the, the stuff in parentheses, other than one, one parentheses that seemed just relevant. It, it says he gets up on his seat and then it's to speak. Now the question okay. that I'm, I'm continually asking myself is, how did this thing survive for a thousand years or 1500 years or however long it survives? You know, you know, uh, you know Ed, Ed would like his photographs to survive for 1500 years Only <laughs> and, be, and, and be memorable <laughs> and people still be looking at them. And, you know, like, how, how, how do we do that? How, especially when something's so simple or is it so simple? So anyway, who'd like to read? Melissa. Okay. You want to read the introduction? Sure. Eyes, ears, nose, tongue, each has one ability. The eyebrows are above. Warriors, farmers, crafters, merchants, each returns to a job. The unskilled one is always at leisure. How does a real Chan master diverse techniques? Device. Oh, device. Thank you. Okay. And Melissa? I mean, uh, Emily? Ace. Yao Shan hadn't ascended the seat to lecture for a long time. The temple superintendent said to him, Everybody's been waiting, wanting instruction for a long time. Please, master, expound the teaching for the congregation. And Ed? Yao Shan had him ring the bell. When the congregation had gathered, Yao Shan ascended the seat. After a while, he got right back down from the seat and returned to his room. The superintendent followed, him at, followed after him and asked, a while ago, you agreed to expound the teaching for the congregation. Why didn't you utter a single word? And Nelda? Yao Shan said, for scriptures, there are teachers of scriptures. For the treatises, there are teachers of treatises. How can you question this old monk? So I didn't write anything because I was really intrigued by the comments. And and by being intrigued by the commentary, it reminded me of something I had read in the other book, which I, I really liked. So um, there's a paragraph in here on page 29 I really like. 
Wait, 29 in what book? Your, our book, this okay. book. Okay. It relates to a paragraph later, and then it relates to something in this other book. And I just kind of saw the connection, at least I did. So the paragraph starts, the administrator missed every point. This next page, I think. Wait, I, I'm I'm confused. You want me to do something? Let me just read the paragraph. Okay. Okay. I have it here. I can do it. Yeah, I just thought everyone might like to see it. Page 29. Well, my pages are different, so. Uh, okay, okay. I'm How sorry. does it stay? It's the, it's the next paragraph after the hungry or maybe yours are combined. So somewhere in there, it says the administrator missed. I see. Yeah. Ah. So that really caught my eye because the administrator Oops. missed the point. The community has been wanting some instruction for a long time. Please expand the teaching form. And so um, he's, he, and then it says he only saw the thunderous issue of the command, that is Yao Shan. Well, if you'll turn the page and don't turn the page, there's a verse. And the verse says, a foolish child troubles over, a foolish child troubles troubles over money used to stop crying and then it explains that in the next paragraph that in the great demise it says when a child cries its mother takes yellow leaves not money and says i'll give you some gold and the child fooled by this thinking the yellow leaves are gold um, those are my words. Uh, whereupon the child stopped crying. I thought, oh, I think I understand. So the administrator felt like the, the gaggle um, was, well, they were crying children. They wanted something, and he felt like he had to meet that specific need, but their, as they expressed their specific need, wasn't really what they needed. And so instead of filling the hall with words, Yao Shou sat in silence. And then there's a later sentence that I really love here. And that is where um, an outsider asks the Buddha, I don't ask about the spoken or the unspoken. And the world honored one remains silent. And then the outsider bowed and said, the world honored one's great compassion has opened the clouds of my illusion and allowed me to gain insight. So the final thing I will point out that all connects in one way for me is a paragraph in the other book where the author of this book I love, he says, in my pessimistic moments, I fear that Zen Buddhism 
will always have a limited appeal in the West because most people are not comfortable with ambiguity or uncertainty. It's pleasant having easy answers, and there are no answers at all in our tradition. So as I thought about this poem, I thought about what, what the gathering was asking for, which really um, wasn't what they needed on their part. And that Yao Shou did what they were, what was needed on the path, and and everyone was confused by that, and especially the superintendent, because he couldn't deal with that ambiguity and, and uncertainty. But Yao Shou found it more compassionate, as did the world honored one, to sit in silence rather than spread leaves and call them gold. And so, that's what I gathered from this. So he gave them gold. He gave them gold in silence and ambiguity and no answers so that they could find the answer themselves. And so I think it's a beautiful poem. Which is pretty common to all the koans, isn't it? That something is asked for and something else is given. And it's not immediately apparent, um, especially to the one asking for something. Well, thank you for your patience with all of that. Well, thank you for your Dharma talk here. Yeah. My initial impression was that I was kind of angry at the monk. And then as I sat, thought about it, I thought about his words, I'm a monk, I'm not a teacher. I thought about the first paragraph, an eyebrow it's above it all. Um, and eyes and eye and ears and ear, eyes, ears, nose, tongue. Each one has an ability and his ability was to be a monk. And that's how he taught is to offer silence so that the students could perhaps travel inward and watch as he traveled away and did his monk thing. And that's how he taught. Um, so there was wisdom in that. And then I became less angry with the monk. <laughs> he was just doing, he was just being exactly who he was. I think this is a really important thing that, that someone said something uh, yesterday that made me angry. You know, they said that, uh, that, uh, when you lose yourself, you just get data. And I didn't even ask them what data was. I'm going to talk with them later in the week. You know, what's data to them? Like one person's data is not another person's data. But, but, but that's really like a, a, you know, a point to see more in yourself, isn't it? So when you get angry about something. Mm -hmm. You know, then, then the, the koan's kind of going through you and doing something to you. What do you think the eyebrows is about? I don't know. There's but, a lot of expression in the eyebrows, isn't it? Like yeah, when you lift yeah. your eyebrows up. Is it a certain message, like doubt or something? No. Your, your eyebrows can express anger or 
be inquisitive or I can't believe you just said that. Um, and I think um, it, in a way, it, it, the eyebrows have more ability um, in the long run than the eyes, ears, nose, or tongue, because each one of those just has one ability. But the eyebrows are above all that, and they're, they're very expressive. Maybe it's that the eyebrows indicate that you have a reaction or you have a preference. And that preference might be in line with something or in opposition to it. But using the eyebrows lets someone know that, you know, something's going on for you somehow, some way. It's sure a quiet way of talking, isn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can I, uh, can I be Nelda 2.0? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, because the first reaction that I had to that was, um, you know, that words, you know, especially when you look at them as, as logical thoughts, um, they're not the real essence. And, uh, you know, you can't neglect studying, but you also need to know that words are not going to be the way to get to the ultimate in understandings. Um, and there's even, um, I forget what the line is, but it says nirvana can't be comprehended or grasped. And um, that led me to, I had one of those aha moments, and I quickly scrolled to another file that I have. And it's from the Lotus Sutra, and it's the Four Reliances. And um, Buddha is saying, rely on the Dharma, not the person. Rely on the meaning, not the words. Rely on wisdom, not upon discriminative consciousness and rely on the definitive meaning, not upon the provisional meaning. And in the Lotus Sutra, it also says, embrace, read, recite, share, copy. But those four reliances is what lit up for me that this whole uh, koan really kind of demonstrated. So silence was best. <laughs> There's also like a saying, that. He who speaks does not know. He who knows does not speak. Does not speak. Does not speak. Remember, I'm going to say this every every week, but remember that uh, the other Buddhists outside of Chan were very much into scriptures so so again it's it's a, a refuting that for the real thing whatever that might be mm. and also in the heart sutra it says no eyes no ears no nose no so you know referring to emptiness mm -hmm. and then at the end that i never got till this morning which is really interesting. What you get when you eliminate all those things is nirvana.
I hope it's still Nirvana. Oh, here, far beyond all inverted views, one realizes Nirvana. And then the other line with, uh, therefore, given emptiness, there is no form, no sensation, no perception, no formation, no consciousness, no eyes, no ears, no nose, no tongue. So it's curious, exactly the same eyes, ears, nose, tongue, no body, no mind, no sight, no sound, sound, no smell, no taste, no touch, no object of mind, no realm of sight, no realm of mind consciousness. There's something about the eyebrows. They're not just uh, sense organs. Would you call an eye a sense organ? I guess. Yeah. yeah. They're more, yeah. It, it more, you know, and the mind is one of the senses. They're more about the mind, but not even that mind. They're, there, there, there's something that has to occur in terms of processing information before your eyebrows do something. They're a little more complex than, than those things, which are simply either emit or move or do something. You know, that, aren't, isn't it? You see what I mean? They're a body, a body. There a way the body can express thought and emotion without saying a word. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like that, Nelda. Thank you. Okay, I will show mine. So it said he, he ascended the seat and said nothing, and then it's why. Did you come up with an answer, Kim? Well, the answer that just, when you asked that, that just came to my mind was because there was nothing to say. But I think what we hit on a few minutes ago about that um you know we've talked about before that these guys are uh doing what they feel is most useful and that is to that anything he would say like thusness you know in that other con anything is is kind of a sacrilege there was a point oh go on I was going to do your point and then I'll, I'll um, make mine. Okay, well, it just reminds me of another story where Buddha is asked to come to the town to speak. They, they um, provide an enormous feast in celebration that he's coming. And he looks at the feast and he says, now I can't say anything. And I always thought it was because of the feast, but there's this also this idea that that um it was already said you know and then buddha there's so buddha holding up the the flower i mean there's so many times when when words are not correct 
and and it goes on and on with with you know maybe you've heard me say that Robert Frost was asked to explain his poem and he said do you want me to tell you another and worse language yeah. <laughs> I, love I love Robert Frost yeah, yeah. I, I thought that was brilliant so uh and I think that just goes back to echo almost like a koan itself um you know, those those first two of the reliances rely on the Dharma, not the person, and rely on the meaning, not the words. There was an interesting switch in Judaism from the prophets to the rabbis. And where the prophets were uh, were closer to God than the rabbis, who are just regular people. So they they teach the Torah but they aren't the Torah. Hmm. So it's, pro it's probably common in many, many things where, uh, they're just ordinary stuff. And Nelda, you wanted to say something. Oh, uh so I have this image in the head that I couldn't draw because I'm not an artist, but it's an image of a jewel, a, a cut jewel with many facets. And on each of the faces are, are things like words, slippery slope, right? Um, words are slip. I say that often. Words are slippery things. Silence, statements, questions, expounding, you know, withholding, uh, all of those things that have to do with words and um, it took me to my experience of when people ask something of me and or I'll even ask me a question um, or even make a statement. My most common experience when people ask a question is if I feel like one, it's not properly formulated for, for what they really want to get to, my response is generally, I will answer a different question. And that happens a lot, happened a lot in my legal practice. Well, what if da 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 da? Well, that really wasn't the the point. That really isn't the core issue. And so I answer a different question. And and we do that in relationship as well, where we will say something, mean something else, ask for one thing and and not express what the core issue is. I just I just find it a a multifaceted jewel, as is silence. If you look at all, there's more than one facet of silence on my on my gemstone um, because it can be used and mean so many different things. And in this case, it's a very compassionate, loving thing. So yeah. I like that. M Melissa, we haven't heard from you. Yes, I, I took a little bit of a, whoops. I took a little bit of a different take, um, and uh, well, we'll see where it goes. Let me scoot this up so I can read. Um, the unexpected. The unexpected often teaches more than what we have prepared for. The teacher tells the superintendent to, I'm sorry, it, my Pressure just decided to send my work somewhere else. 
next to that. I am sorry. Okay, let's try it again. Um, the unexpected. The unexpected often teaches more than what we have prepared for. The teacher tells the superintendent to gather the students. The teacher ascends to his chair. He pauses, then comes down and walks through the students and goes to his room. The superintendent follows him to find out why. My thoughts are with the students. Here, the superintendent was so anxious to have them taught, to bring them together for a lesson. And yet, when the lesson was not forthcoming in the way he expected, he left them. I would say it is not important why the teacher left, but that the superintendent never tried to help the students understand or lead them in conversation about what the teacher might be trying to convey by leaving them in silence. Was he trying to lead them to understand that they could learn from the silence or work with each other or learn to discuss the unexpected? It's interesting that unlike other stories, the students don't follow the teacher and the superintendent. Often the students follow asking their own questions. What did they do? Did they just leave and go back to what they'd been doing? I wonder. I like the way your mind works. <laughs> Thank you. It's just to me, it, it, this, this superintendent person, like so many people, are so anxious to have the truth or the right thing or the explanation or whatever taught to somebody rather than having the intention of learning something. And I think that that's really to this Cohen to me does that. What no not not once did he think what what what, what am I supposed to learn from from him walking away? That was rather profound, right? And and then to desert the students whom he felt had not had any lessons and were desperate for lessons. And he just walked away from them too. <laughs> I, like, hmm, I don't know. This made me wonder. You were so right because his intention in one direction seems so strong to have words. And yet he leaves in silence as well. <laughs> Thank you for that. Thank no, you. You're Emily, do you want to say anything more? I thought we could we could look at the koan, you know, word by, line by line. There's some stuff there, maybe, like the eyebrows uh, here. So what's the parallel between the eyes, ears, nose, and tongue, each having one ability and... Are the eyebrows the unskilled ones? Always at leisure. Well, maybe, but, but then there's maybe kind of a parallel structure here. But then I was thinking, you know, do eyes relate to warriors, ears to farmers? That yeah, I think so. I think so. 
nose to crafters and, and merchants tongue merchants talk a lot because they're selling things so i could connect that well i don't know if it's necessarily like a one-to-one -one. eyes are warriors ears are farmers and what about returns each returns to a job hmm. And doesn't this maybe also imply that whether you're crafter, merchant, farmer, warrior, you still have all of the same access in terms of sensibilities to, to, to whatever? Each of these have one, one, is that what you're just saying? Each has one ability. A warrior has one ability. A farmer has one ability. So which comes down to the, the 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 old monk has one ability and that's not to say anything you know where he says these other people can talk about the treatise teachers of treatises so this is the other buddhists and i was even looking at it thinking that the eyes have one ability the ears have one ability yeah the nose the tongue has one ability um and that whether you're a warrior farmer craft or whatever you can utilize or have access to all of those things and still have unity but individuality because each returns to a job a warrior is not going to become a farmer he's going to be a warrior but he still has all of those things there so how does a real chan master devise techniques it's kind of a riddle within there do you think the chan master is an unskilled one no. So each of these has a specialized skill, just like each of our sense organs has a specialized skill. And and I see it different. I, I mean, I see that each of our sense organs has a specialized skill, at, just as a warrior, farmer, etc., has a specialized skill. But that doesn't mean that he or she can't hone that particular skill craft um without using all of those sense organs so so from i i read it a little differently and so how does a, a chan master devise techniques through the same sense organs just expressed differently than a warrior farmer crafts person i right. yeah yeah, I, I, I see that. I agree with that fully. And like a warrior, you got to use your eyes and your ears, but you do not need to be talking to people saying, hey, at sunset, I'm going to flank you on your left side. Get ready. Um, but he still, they each all have access to those senses and they use them as, as needed as parents. So if it's a Chan master, they'll devise techniques relative to what they're job is using uh, access to those same sense um, uh, options. And, and I'm curious about a word because again, language is slippery and who, who knows what the original meaning of the original word of this case was. But the superintendent says to him, master, please master, expound expound the teaching for the congregation and teachings true. teachings capitalize yes yes but the word expound is 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 where i got caught because again it's 
who was I talking to about what the word condemnation really meant in the in the Christian Bible? It means very different than what we um, might imagine. And so I'm just wondering what the original word for expound meant, because if it meant sh show us how you practice, this is exactly what the monk did. He honored that request. Yeah, I think of it as elaborate on it. But we don't know. So I'm just curious about the use of that word. And I, I think this is why, you know, certain things with Zen and Buddhism are so incredibly subtle, but so impactful and meaningful. Because you can look at that word expound. I think that was a great one to pick, Nelda. And expound the teaching. He expounded the teaching with silence, but he also expounded, expounded the teaching and the practice by living and doing the thing that he thought they needed to know by not saying something and getting up and leaving. Um, he expounded, um, you know, the teachings of the Buddha in terms of like the four reliances by living it and doing it. So I, I think he, I mean, that's, that's a trifecta right there. Yeah, I like that. And his answer makes that clear too. He's like, okay, for teachers of scripture, they they expounded through scripture for te uh, teachers of treatises, and and then the last question is sort of like a, not that a monk would would have the emotion attached to, but like, how can you ask me that question? I mean. How can you question me in terms of the way I expound? So anyway, that caught my eye. So he was up on the seat for a while. So after a while, he got right back down. It's not like he went up and down. He paused. I've read one description of this case that said it wasn't just he went up, he sat down, then he left. No, and, and nor did he stay hours and hours. But it was a, a long enough period of time. Maybe it was a Sazen sit, you know. Who knows? I don't know. Kim, have you ever come across any writings that, that um, guess or speculate how long... Yaoshan sat on the seat? No. Okay. I, I, I would think... But the timing's so important, though, because if it's... You know, when do they get it? When do you say something to someone? Go on, Emma, well, uh, uh, Melissa. I, I was just thinking that it's, it's one of those... It would have to have been... I wouldn't think very long, count to a thousand or whatever... But um, long enough for everyone to have focused on him. And once everyone was there and focused on him and what he was going to say, but he didn't say anything. And then a brief silence to emphasize that he was saying the silence. And then I would think he would have gone. So I wouldn't think the whole the whole process would have probably, to me, not taken more than five minutes, if that. 
And it depends on the audience, Melissa, because on the next. Well, that's true. In the commentary, where the where the outsider said, "I don't ask about the spoken or the unspoken," and the world honored one remains silent, and then the outsider bowed at that and said, "You know." You've opened the clouds of my illusion. And then Ananda, the Buddhist assistant, asked him, what truth did he see that he said he had gained insight? So even Ananda, who was with the Buddha all the time, wasn't in the same place. Yeah. yeah. Remember, Ananda never got enlightened until after the Buddha died. Right. And then that night, he got enlightened in the middle of the night, and then he was able to go to the first... Um, <coughs> Uh, assemblage I can't of of uh, the disciples mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. first the first what I can't think of the, the word gathering let's just yeah gather. it wasn't oh, yeah assembly I think no no assemblies not assemblies for all others but anyway the gathering I, I for Okay, so for scriptures, there are teachers of scriptures. For the treatises, there are teachers of treatises. How can you question this old monk? And, and I'm, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Ed. I, I'm, part of my brain is still sitting here playing with the whole time thing about it. And again, it's just not a... a side angle look at the fact that um, maybe from two standpoints where we're paying attention to something in a time-bound sense which really is not relative or not recognized um, in a time in terms of clock time sensibility because he's saying it's been a long time uh, that they've been waiting for instruction but what have you been doing in that time haven't you been studying? Haven't you been reading? Haven't you been sitting? Um, you might be looking for something. And then we get into that that um, most ultimate of four letter words called expectation, where they're expecting something from him. And it just goes to show that if you're relying on your expectations, you might on the one hand get what you're asking for. On the other hand, you might not get what you're asking for, but it just might be what you need. And the whole thing of after a while, it, it's, you know, that understanding or the enlightenment or whatever is not something that is relative to time. He might have been sitting there for five minutes, waited till everybody got calm and got the mudras on, and then got up and boogied. Um, you don't know, but again, at the same time, it's saying that's not really relevant because all of this stuff. Uh, when you try and put it in a time-bound sense, I think you missed the mark. And after he left, um, like, like you said before, somebody, the superintendent, some of those others, um, should have gotten busy about um, looking into something and trying to answer some things for themselves and got over themselves in terms of what I wanted for a long time or how long you were sitting there or how short you were sitting there. That's well, interesting. There's been... many references to time. Mm -hmm. Go on. Yeah. Uh, and wouldn't each one of the, the people there have experienced that period of time differently, right? Because mm -hmm. we've all been in situations where 
we say, oh my gosh, that just took forever. It was so whatever. And it just went on and on and on. And then somebody next to was really, oh, I thought it just went, just whipped right past because it was so exciting and wonderful. And, and, oh, I wish it could have gone on longer. Well, it, it was <laughs> clock time was the same for both, both of them, but experiential time can be very different. And uh, I always think that's a, an interesting thing to think about in these kind of situations, because for the superintendent, it had been so long since he had taught, since anybody had had a lesson. But was it really that long clock time or was it just long for him because he was anxious? He was anxious to have more knowledge or more explanation or more whatever he was looking for. And and maybe it was only him. So I wonder about do you, that. Too. Do you think the old monk, the old monk knew that he wasn't going to say anything when he climbed? Mm -hmm. No, I doubt it. What do you I think, Emily? Um, I mean, he might have known. Um, he probably knew. Ed. I don't, I don't think he had a, a predetermined action that he was going to take. I think he, he took the seat, read the room, and then the, the response came to him, and uh, he did it. Yeah, I don't think he had a planned talk, you know, in his pocket. Yeah, I'm sure his laptop was out of battery power, so he couldn't have <laughs> 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 like that you know not only do we look at time so differently i don't know why my mind is being so discursive tonight but <laughs> my mind went to two things very related but very different and having nothing to do with time but having to do with how we move in the world and how we operate and one of them has to do with citizen kane the movie how the happiest time in his life was when his family was dirt poor and he played in the snow on his little sled and he named it Rosebud. And as you go through the movie with Orson Welles and see all that he's acquired, and I mean, it's just amazing. And on his deathbed, despite him having just been able to acquire everything and anything he wanted in the world, his last words, what he yearned for was, well, not for, I'm, I don't know, were Rosebud. And so yearning for that time in his life, for that sense in his life. And then I heard a Tara Brock talk yesterday, and she mentioned that at one time a reporter was interviewing the Dalai Lama, and the reporter asked the Dalai Lama, um, what was the happiest time of his life? And the Dalai Lama got that little twinkly eye look that he gets. And he said this moment or something? Right now, this moment with you. And so it's just, I guess we're talking about time and my mind took me to those things in terms of, not only is it um, relative in terms of length, but it's also relative, as Melissa was saying, in terms of its significance to us. Some of the people in that hall thought, you know, oh, time passed too fast and I wanted to take another picture of on my iPhone or whatever. And for others, it may have just seemed uh, 
a drudgery to have sat there, assembled and sit there and not get a word. Anyway, that's my two cents. The, 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 the Chan teacher in St. Louis um, decided he wanted to take a year off and he lived in a trailer. Have I talked about this? He lived in a trailer behind the temple and um, but he would come out of the trailer to eat, but it would always be in silence. And then he'd go back to his temple and sit all day long. But no one, no one was irritated at him for doing this. They somehow understood completely that he needed to do this. And the temple just went on. There were there were some nuns there who took care of things, and then a lot of lay people who took care of things and would bring meals and stuff. So, <clears throat> but it was interesting how everyone was okay with that. No one said. Oh, you're not teaching us anything. And he was. And he was. He was taking care of himself and doing what's needed. And my kind of warped mind thought, well, eventually we'll get more than if he had even stayed. But, but I don't even know if that was, you know, the case. But he, there was such a calming effect, too, when he came and ate because you saw someone who was just getting more and more centered. Hmm. I don't think uh, many of us could do that in our jobs that we had to say, well, I'm not going to do anything. Though I had sabbaticals every seven years, and that was nice. Hmm. Mm. I did too. It was called the pandemic. Oh. <laughs> well, do you want to do the next one sure. now? Sure. Oh, yes, it's by Sean Fox. Yes, let's. Yes. yes, there's lots and lots of stuff that we can find on this. This is really a rich one. Okay, since there's five paragraphs, um, we could each read one. Nelda, you want to start? All right, page 32, case eight, Baishong's Fox. Introduction. If you keep so much as the letter A in your mind, you go, you'll go to hell like an arrow shot. One drop of wild fox slobber when swallowed cannot be spit out for 30 years. It is not that the order is strict in India. It's just that the ignoramus's karma is heavy. Has there ever been anyone who mistakenly transgressed? Hmm. Emily? Case eight, when Bai Zhang lectured in the hall, there was always an old man who listened to the teaching and then dispersed with the crowd. One day he didn't leave. Bai Zhang then asked him, who is it standing there? Yeah. The old man said, an antiquity in the time of the ancient Buddha Kazyapa, I lived on this mountain. The student asks, does a greatly cultivated man still fall into cause and effect or not? I answered him, 
he does not fall into cause and effect, and I fell into a wild fox body for 500 lives. Now I ask the teacher to turn a word in my behalf. Melissa. Baizong said, he is not blind to cause and effect. The old man was greatly enlightened at these words. Fox drool is still there. Okay. Hmm. Okay, well, thank you all so much for coming.